Hello everybody, this is Logan with Saving Grace Outreach. Today we are going to be getting into our first series here on the Saving Grace Outreach podcast. name of the series is The Unshakable Word of God, and today we are going to be talking about the importance of the Old Testament. So stick around to hear that. So we're going to be talking about why the Old Testament is still important. And I want to start off with the scripture today, and, and this is going to be uh, one that's going to be guiding us really through all of today's um, sermon. And it comes out of 2 Timothy chapter 3, verses 15 through 17. And it reads from Paul, And that from childhood you have known the sacred writings, which are able to give you the wisdom that leads to salvation through faith, which is in Christ Jesus. All scripture is inspired by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness, so that the man of God may be adequately equipped for every good work. This is uh, an important verse that we are going to be using today, and it's going to be one of the main verses that I'm going to be using to defend scripture's integrity. And, And first we ask, why is the Old Testament still important? Well, it's still important because it's used to teach and to correct. It's used for all of the reasons that Paul just listed. First off, Old Testament, it's inspired by God. It's profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness. And you see, a lot of people read that verse and, you know, they might just apply that to the New Testament, for example. Uh, A lot of people in the progressive church will take that verse and they will only apply it to Matthew through Revelation, but they will forget about the Old Testament. It feels though this this verse has an asterisk next to it that says does not count for Old Testament, when that is the exact opposite. Think about at this time when Paul is writing 2 Timothy, the New Testament doesn't exist. The New Testament writings Uh, by and large, do not exist at this time. Well, uh, quite a few of them would exist. But he only references the sacred writings. At that time, the the, the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, those things that have already been written by this time of the second second epistle for Timothy, it, it is questionable whether or not he would label those as the sacred writings. Still, that being said, He's not just talking about the Gospels. He's not just talking about those. He's talking about the Old Testament. The sacred writings for Paul would have been the Book of Law. It would have been the Psalms, Song of Solomon, Ecclesiastes. It would have been these great books, these great sacred writings that Paul would have been taught as a former Jewish scholar. He would have been taught those things. Those would have been the basis for him, and it was also the basis for his ministry as as he went all throughout Asia spreading the gospel. So they're used to teach and to correct. Next, what else? They are the they are the basis for our existence. The Old Testament tells us the basis for our existence. Genesis 1.1, In the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was formless and void, and darkness was over the surface of the deep. And the Spirit of God was moving over the surface of the waters. 
so it gives us literally our, our basis for existence. Imagine going through, and here we are as Christians. We are trying to defend our faith, and yet we have no way to defend the basis for our existence. We have no way to defend our very beginning. Because if if we want to go with the new progressive church, the new progressive church's idea, um, which is let's just remove the Old Testament. Let's just throw that out. We don't need that. If we go along with that basis, we remove our very our very principles and idea for existence. What else do we do? What else do we do? Why is the Old Testament so important? It prophesied the coming of Jesus. And, you know, you think, well, you know, you have the, you have a few of those verses there and um, Isaiah, you know, you just have, you know, maybe a few prophecies here and there. They're, they're kind of vague in a way. That's some arguments that I've heard from some progressive churches, some progressive ideologies. That is exactly wrong. The, the, the coming of Jesus is prophesied immediately after the fall, Genesis 3.15. And I will put enmity between you and woman, and between your seed and her seed. You shall bruise, He shall bruise you on the head, and you shall bruise him on the heel. Here we already have the, the prophecy of Jesus. God has had a plan. And from the very beginning of time, he has moved history towards the cross where Christ would come, Christ would die, and Christ would restore us from our sins. From the very beginning of time, God has had this plan, and he has been moving history towards that direction. He has been moving history towards the death and the resurrection of Christ. Well, let's go over it. Let's, let's take a look at some of these claimed uh, vague passages, these vague prophecies that are in Isaiah. Isaiah 7, verse 14. Therefore the Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold, a virgin will be with child and bear a son, and she shall call his name Emmanuel. Well, that, that really, that seems, I mean, maybe if I were to take the, the Gospels and just pull out the names Mary and Jesus... I feel like that's just about how I would sum it up. Therefore, the Lord himself will give you this sign. Behold, a virgin, the Virgin Mary, will have a child and will bear a son, Jesus. She shall call his name Emmanuel. Directly, directly tied into the New Testament. But according to the progressive church and the progressive ideology, I guess that that is just, a, it's a little vague. It's a little vague for them. So let's go to 2 Samuel. 2 Samuel. Chapter 7, and we're going to be starting in verse 12. 2 Samuel 7, 12. And that reads, When your days are complete and you lie down with your fathers, I will raise up your descendants after you, who will come forth from you, and I will establish his kingdom. He shall build a house for my name, and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. I will be a father to him, and he will be a son to me. When he commits inequity, I will correct him with the rod of men and with the strokes of the, of the sons of man. But his love kindness shall not depart from him. As I took it from Saul, whom I removed from before you, your house and your kingdom shall endure before me forever. Your throne shall be established forever. In accordance with all of these things and all of this vision, so Nathan spoke to David. Second Samuel was fulfilled in Matthew 1.1. So, so you want to say, well, you know, that can mean anything. 
Well, let's take a look at this progressive church. Matthew 1. Matthew 1, 1. The first verse of the New Testament, and it reads, The record of the genealogy of Jesus the Messiah, the son of David, and the son of Abraham. Here in 2 Samuel, God is promising David that he will have the direct lineage, direct lineage to Jesus Christ, Messiah the King. That is fulfilled in Matthew 1.1. Additionally, Genesis 12.3 is fulfilled in Matthew 1.1. Genesis 12.3, when God promised Abraham that he would make his descendants as numerous as the stars. Here, the record of the genealogy of Jesus, the Messiah, the son of David, the son of Abraham. So what else? What, what else does the Old Testament do? It, the Old Testament lays out the moral ground for our society. It lays out the very moral ground of our society and the very moral morals of our society. The book of law, Genesis to Deuteronomy. That lays out the morals for our society. It lays out the prince it lays out the principles, excuse me. It lays out the principles for our society. It lays out the things that, that, that we know to be right and wrong. It lays out human logic, human reason, human law. It lays out God's law. When I, say, when I say human law, don't misinterpret what I'm saying. It is God's law that we as humans are directed to follow. We as humans are directed to adhere to. Additionally, it provides us with the basic principles for conduct. And this, this ties back in to, to the last point of the morality, the, the basic principles for our conduct, Genesis, excuse me, Exodus 20, when God gives us the Ten Commandments. The Old Testament is also the basis for the New Testament. The books, the, the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Romans, Hebrews, Revelation, these books would have absolutely no ground and no basis without the Old Testament. Absolutely no basis. Without the fall of man, without the fall of man, we do not need Jesus. Without the fall of man, we do not need Jesus. We do not need the Gospels. That means that we do not need revelation because at that point, man has not fallen. God does not have to come back to save those that believe in him. He does not have to destroy the world because the world would still then be perfect. Without the Old Testament, there there is no Hebrews. the the Old Te the Hebrews is directly tied to the the Old Testament. I mean, good grief! If you read it, it's like half of Hebrews is just quoting the Old Testament. And additionally, honestly, we can take out just about all of the epistles because Paul directly pulls from the Old Testament, Second Timothy three sixteen, excuse me, three fifteen, the sacred writings directly pulling from the Old Testament, pulling from the sacred writings. Paul quotes the Old Testament, the sacred writings, in just about every single epistle. He pulls the ideas from the Old Testament and puts them in the New Testament for life application, for applicability to our lives here today, whether or not we were living in 60 AD or if we are living in 2021. 
It also provides us with numerous godly men to follow as an example. The Old Testament is great for this. It is full of tremendous examples of godly men that we should aspire to follow, that we should aspire, when I say follow, I mean to, to follow conduct, to follow in reason, to follow in faith. David. David shows us a man that trusted in God for every single thing that he had and was greatly rewarded. He also shows us what to do when we are at our absolute worst. When everything is falling down around us, when we have lost everything that is important to us, here, here's David. The entire kingdom turns on him. His own son turns against him, wants to overthrow his father as the king. David is having to run from his son. He is having to, to fight for his life every single day. We saw that with Saul as well. When Saul was trying to kill David every single day, David did not despair. He rooted his faith in Christ. He rooted his faith in God. He trusted in him to deliver him out of everything. And even when David did make a mistake with Bathsheba, even when those, those sins took place, just like us, even when we aspire to be our absolute best, our absolute most godly selves, we are trying to walk in as great obedience as we possibly can, we still fail. We still fall. We have a fallen, sinful nature. We do fail. We do still fall. We still stumble. This is exactly what happened to David. And yet David is a shining example for what we can do to be able to get up, dust ourselves off, seek forgiveness, and continue to pursue God and to continue to pursue obedience towards him. Additionally, we have Abraham, Noah, David, Jeremiah, so many great people, Job, I can go on and on and just name me these great characters that we should follow their example for their faith, for their obedience. Following David, we see what happened after disobedience, how we can reset our lives and reset our focus on God. It also shows us God's wrath and judgment because that's, that's an important part of God. And that is one of the biggest reasons why the progressive church wants to remove the Old Testament because they only want a loving version of God. Well, the Old Testament greatly demonstrates a loving version of God. It does. The Old Testament shows a great loving version of God, but it also shows a, a, a God's it shows God's wrath. It shows God's judgment. But understand that God's wrath and God's judgment is his love. Like a parent that disciplines a child that is acting out, it is out of love that he is disciplined. It is out of love that they are disciplined. So that they can have right conduct. So that they can have moral conduct. So that they can learn to live and walk by God's ways to be able to receive God's blessings. It is, it is wrong. And it is actually almost abusive to not correct the child. To not show them the correct way. The same is with God. It would be the same. For God to just allow us to wallow in our sins, to wallow in our disobedience, and not give us a way to be corrected. To not show us the way back. To not correct us. I would not be here today. I would not be here today telling you this, sharing this message, starting this ministry, without God reaching down and, yes, Unveiling some of his wrath and judgment, correcting me, getting my attention, and correcting my course, and getting my eyes set back on him. So yes, we see God's wrath and judgment, 
We see that through all of the nations that he punished. We see that in Genesis 19 with Sodom and Gomorrah. God does pass judgment for sin. But that is out of love. Additionally, it can answer our fundamental questions about, about the Bible and about our existence and about God. As I referenced uh, all the way at the beginning, it, it answers the basis for our existence in Genesis. It tells us about God's personality. Uh, it, it shares God's personality, his love, his kindness, his judgment, his wrath. The joy and the peace that we can have with a wonderful relationship with him. It answers some of our basic questions on how we are to live a godly life. The epistles have great life applications in them, but we also see great life applications out of the stories of David, Job, Noah, Abraham. It's full from cover to cover with great life applications, some stories that we can live. How can we live an extraordinary Christian life? It answers those questions. Additionally, the Old Testament validates the New Testament. I said earlier that the that the Old Testament is the basis for the New Testament. Now the Old Testament validates the New Testament. Because think about the New Testament. Here we just have a guy that 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 said that we sinned, that said that we were sinners. So here here you know we don't we don't have the book. Of, you remove the Old Testament, we don't have the book of law. So here we have some guy that shows up says that he is the Son of God, says that we have sinned. We don't even know what sin is. We don't even know uh, what sins we've even committed. Says that we have sinned, says you have to trust in me. I'm going to die on a cross. Well, well, why do you have to die on a cross? What are you talking about? What are you talking about the perfect Lamb of God? Why do we have to follow you? Why do we have to put our faith in you? What is this sin that you're talking about? We're just living our lives. We're living our lives by our own inclinations. Additionally, if we want to make an even further argument, we can say, well, without Genesis chapter 3, there is no fall of man. Therefore, the New Testament is invalidated. But with the Old Testament, it validates through the prophecies. It, it, it creates and brings validity to Jesus coming, Jesus dying, Jesus' resurrection, Jesus being the perfect Lamb of God. It's just, it's just that simple. Finally, God wrote the Bible, the whole Bible, Genesis to Revelation. Yes, it was man that physically wrote it, but they, these are the inspired words of God. He chose what should go in it. It would be foolish to question God. How foolish do you have to be to say, well, God, you threw in this section in Leviticus, and you want to know what? I'm I'm just not for that section. I'm just I'm really I'm just not interested in that section. I question that section. I just I just don't believe it. So you want that's just gonna be stricken from the record. And the progressive church doesn't even do that exclusively to the Old Testament, it does it to the New Testament. It strikes out numerous verses within Paul's epistles in which he references homosexuality, sexuality. Those are just stricken from the record. Those you will you in a progressive church, you will not 
see those verses those verses preached from the pulpit. They will not be preached. To not preach them is to remove them. Unless the masses themselves seek it out. Unless God leads them to that truth and to those verses. You are doing an absolute disservice. And you had might as well have just announced that you are striking those verses from your version of the Bible. Because it's no longer the Bible. When we begin picking and choosing, it is no longer the Bible. It's your Bible. I don't want to use your Bible. I want to use the Bible. So what else? What does the Old Testament kind of do for us? And something else I thought of is that it teaches us to praise God. Why is it important? It teaches us to praise God. Look at the entire book of Psalms. It is nothing but 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 praise, prayer. It is seeking out God for his wisdom. It gives us prayers for times when we are when we have times of sorrow, when we have times of joy, happiness, distress. Prayers for protection against enemies. Prayers for protection against persecution. It's tremendous. What what else? What? Why else is it important? Well, I can tell you not only why it's important, but why it's important that we do not mess with the Old Testament. Why we do not remove the Old Testament. Proverbs 30. Verses 5 through 6, if you're following along with me, every word of God is tested. He is a shield to those who take refuge in him. Do not add to his words, or he will reprove you and prove you a liar. Do not add to his words. And as we've, we've already mentioned, the word of God, the Bible, is God's word. Physically written by man, inspired by God, these are the words of God. Deuteronomy 4. Verse 2, you shall not add to the word which I am commanded you, nor take away from it, that you may keep the commandments of the Lord your God which I command you. You shall not add to the word that I am commanding you. These are the commandments of God. The commandments are not just limited to Exodus 20. They are not just limited to the book of law. The commandments of God are all the way through this Bible, Genesis to Revelation. These are the commandments of God. Additionally, we learn that the Word of God, it is never, never outdated. A popular argument is, is that the Old Testament is out of date, and it's mostly attacked for that, um, for maybe its stances on homosexuality, stances on a lot of progressive issues and a lot of political issues in today's day. We just decide, well, that's an issue, that's an issue. Let's just take out the entire Old Testament because it, it's not, it's, uh, it's outdated. Hebrews 4. Verse 12, for the word of God is living and active and sharper than any two-edged sword and piercing as far as the division of soul and spirit of both joints and marrow and able to judge the thoughts and the intentions of the heart. The word of God is living and active. It's not just living and active 
when Hebrews was written, it's not just living and active in the 18th century, in the 19th century, in the 20th century. It is still living and active in the 21st century. Let's go to Isaiah chapter 40, verse 8. The grass withers and the flowers fade, but the word of God stands forever. The word of God stands forever. Let's even take it a step further with the progressive church. They believe that the New Testament is the only thing that we should use. New Testament is the end-all, be-all. Old Testament, bad. We don't need the Old Testament. Well, let's take a look in the New Testament. And as I've already mentioned, um, Paul uses the Old Testament in just about every single epistle. But additionally, in Matthew 4, verses 1 through 11, I'm not going to read them today, but I, I highly encourage you to look at them. Matthew 4, verses 1 through 11. Satan is tempting Jesus in the wilderness. And what, what does Jesus use to retort Satan every single time? He uses the word of God. He uses the Old Testament. He uses verses out of Deuteronomy, the book of law. Deuteronomy, that's that's the big evil book, according to, according to the progressive church, by and large. Deuteronomy, that's the big evil one. That is the book that God that Jesus uses to retort the devil every single time. Additionally, we we, we, we want to just be Jesus lovers. We, we just want to use the Gospels. We don't want to use the Old Testament. Well, how did Jesus view the Old Testament? John 10, verse 35. If he called them gods to whom the word of God came, and the scripture cannot be broken. John 10, 35, and the scripture cannot be broken. The scripture, once again, this is the gospel. None of the New Testament books were written when Jesus said this. Jesus said this. So none of the New Testament was written. Jesus is exclusively referring to the Old Testament writings. The scripture cannot be broken. Do you think that to throw the scripture out and to say that we are just not going to follow it, to remove it from the Bible, to remove it from the pulpit, do you believe that that is upholding it? That is breaking it. So how do we save the Old Testament. How do we, as, as just just Christians in general, I'm not even going to use the phrase progressive or traditionalist, fundamentalist, because that is that is put aside right now. This is the integrity of the Old Testament. This is the integrity of over half of Scripture. How do we save it? First off, we read it. We become well-versed in it. We understand it. We read it. We internalize it within our hearts. We meditate on it. What do we do next? We talk about it. When you're in your Sunday school class, don't just be stuck in the Gospels. Don't just be stuck in what Jesus said. Go to the Old Testament. Pull those verses out. Don't be afraid to use the Old Testament. For teachers and leaders like myself, we need to start preaching it. Don't be afraid to preach the Old Testament. Don't be afraid to say what the Word of God says. That is what is important. Every single week, the only thing that it seems like is being preached is God is love. And that is true. And that is the great promise of God, that God is love. 
But we need to understand that God is so much more than just love. And to preach that God is love every single week, and that is the entirety of your message, and you don't go anywhere outside of the book of Luke, is unacceptable. There is more spiritual milk, and there is more spiritual teaching that can be shared. Next, we need to correct others who question it. Correct those that question the Old Testament. Whether or not they they are in your Bible study group, they're in your Sunday school, they're in your church somewhere, correct them. Correct them for questioning the validity and the importance of the Old Testament. And don't compromise on it. Don't sit there and and go out and, and try to be strong and go in real fast and, and, you know, defend it real fast. And then at the first retort from them, cower away. Don't cower. Know that you are standing on the right side. Know that you are standing on the correct side defending biblical authority. When would it ever be okay to question the Bible, to question the validity of it, and to want to throw it out? Never. It would never be okay. So don't compromise on it and know that you are standing on the right side of it. In closing today, I just want to say that the Old Testament is the Word of God. It is the command of God is for teaching, reproof, correction. It is the infallible Word of God inspired by God. We would be a fool to throw it out. We need to preserve it, to defend it, to teach it, and to preach it. My name is Logan. This has been the Saving Grace Outreach Podcast. I thank you for joining us here today, and I'll see you next time.